1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. Uh, Sarah and myself, myself being Justin, are very excited to share with you this conversation that we had with another Sarah, Sarah Relaford, who is a part of our Discord community. She is she is someone who is in the process of being Rev Covered, and so it's uh, such a good conversation. Uh, she is part of a clergy couple, which if you've never heard that term before, it's where both people are pastors and not necessarily at the same church. So we talk about just all the various interesting ways that plays out in relationships and and how deconstruction and transitioning from being ministers to not being ministers, how that plays out just in all kinds of different aspects of your life. It's a great conversation. We are very just happy and it's a full circle moment for Sarah Heath and myself and yeah you're gonna you're gonna love this conversation if you would like to be a part of our discord community please check out patreon.com slash revcovery r-e-v-c-o-v-e-r-y and uh, yeah check us out you can join for very little and if uh, you don't want to join that's perfectly fine share this episode with a friend this is a really good one this is a great one to introduce people to the concept and introduce people to the ideas of like what is it what does it mean to have a life outside of the stained glass windows so without further ado i'm going to get to the show and get to the interview and it's such a great conversation thanks Friends, welcome to another episode of Recovery. We are so excited because we have a member of our community on today. This is Sarah Relaford. I hope I said it right. I think I said it right. Yes. Sarah is a United Methodist person as well. So I'm excited to have her on and hear a little bit of her story. And so, yeah, we're just going to kind of hop in by asking you this. Are you ready, Sarah? I'm so ready. How long were you in for? Like, how long were you in ministry for? And what were the reasons that you got into it? Yeah, I was in for seven years and um, I got into it. I don't know. I think I was just like always a do-gooder kind of kid. And I loved church growing up. I grew up in a very progressive Methodist church, which I think is, I'm learning a little bit unique. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up with like a very sort of you know, hippie, for lack of a better word, understanding of Christianity that was very like open to questioning. And I grew up with a very supportive mom. So when I found out that Methodists believe in hell, I came home and I was like, mom, this can't be true. Do Methodists really believe in hell? Because it just, to me, I'd always been raised that hell was kind of like Baptist nonsense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And she was like, oh, Sarah, you know, you can think of hell as like, like a spiritually empty life or like distance from God. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get that. So I, I was distance from God. That was mine too, guys. That was, okay, that was mine amazing. too. 
So I always just kind of had this very flexible view. Like we listened to Indigo Girls songs and youth group. Like it just felt like a positive, happy, wonderful place of people in community doing good things. And it turns out, and I don't want to shock you guys, not every Methodist church is like that. No. <laughs> yeah, that that was a shock to me because I had a brief stint in Methodism thinking like y'all have great PR when it comes to like progressivism. Like, you know, people like at least on the, in the evangelical world think that like United the Methodist ones. is they're the first step to hell, like because it's just they're just <laughs> so progressive and they're so, you know, whatever. So I'm in like evangelical land, like I'm going to make a jump to a progressive denomination. It was not. <laughs> I, I found out later they hired me because I came from a conservative denomination. Oh, <laughs> they were like, no. Like, oh, you're going to be a conservative on staff. We need more of that. I was like, oh, oh, honey, no. Oh, like, this this so is you, a speed date that did not work out. You grew up in a, I feel like we have so much in common, not just our names. You grew up in a home that was pretty supportive. And so you're like, this is the world. And then you get into a Methodist church that wasn't progressive. Were you already ordained at this point? Like, I see that you're wearing an Emory shirt. So I'm going to assume you went there. Yes, yes. I actually, um, I have two degrees from Emory. I went back and got a doctorate of ministry and oh, graduated in May right before I stepped out of the church. So Yes. <laughs> so, so Emory has so much of my money um, mm, nice. <laughs> and my heart. I love them. Um, yeah. So uh, there was, a, I guess, a, I made a big jump between um, You're going fine. to a yeah, but, um, take us back to Tiny Sarah, who uh, decided to like. How did you get into it for seven years? Yeah, so I actually ministry was a second career for me. So I had a very short first career in um, politics. I worked for the Georgia House of Representatives and oh, cool. really like got involved with this volunteer project that involved me putting on fundraisers for Georgia charities. And I loved it. And I was like, I want to do something really good with my life. So I went on a road trip with one of my besties and like so many things that happened on road trips. I was like, I think I want to go to, it was bigger than this, but in Tupelo, Mississippi, I had this like revelation that I wanted to go to. Right in front of Elvis's Mary. house. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it just, it kind of just fell into place. I was like, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. And then it just, it happened. And seminary was like the best three years of my life. And I loved it. I met my husband there, who's also a United Methodist pastor, who's also stepping out of ministry. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an adventure. But because of the way that the Methodist churches, when we started dating, in the Methodist world, you like tell your DS things before you tell your parents things. It's so weird. District superintendents. Yeah, you have oh, to. Yeah, I was dating someone and had to tell my pastor so that then he could go and tell my district superintendent. This is like, and then you ask yourself the question, like, how many dates is it serious enough? Like, it's almost like you have a, you, you have a DTR with your DS before you do with the person that you're dating. Yeah, it's. It's so, wild. so healthy. <laughs> yeah, I have um, I have a friend from seminary who told her DS that she was pregnant before she told anybody in her family. <laughs> wow! And it, that just makes sense to me. As a I mean, it did when I was getting potentially getting married when I was thirty one. We never got engaged, but we almost did. And so we were getting engaged, and I had to tell my my SPRC, which is Staff Parish Relation Committee, that uh, because he was going to go on my health care. <laughs> 
for the next year. So they knew, like he had asked my dad and asked my mom, but my friends didn't know. So they knew before any of my friends that I was getting engaged. It didn't happen. It's but- a wild life. And there's just no other, as you guys have talked about several times on this podcast, like there's just no analogous profession no. um, or existence. Yeah. No, nope. the, the, um, the weird lines you have to like weave and yeah, it's wild. so you met him in seminary. You had to tell your Diaz. Yeah, because we were from different conferences. Um, <gasps> so I know that like some Romeo and Juliet nonsense going on. I here. know like, yeah. who's going to so, be appointed and, where. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, so he was in the South Carolina conference and I was in North Georgia. And my my people said, why don't you just live in different conferences and hope for <laughs> for appointments near the state line. I'm only um, laughing because I know someone who did it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, wow. There was a bishop. We had a bishop who moved to our conference and her husband still was a physician in, a, in another state. And then when she would tell us to move, she'd be like, well, my husband's in another state. So like that makes it okay. Me yeah. trying to tell her I didn't want to leave my run group didn't exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I left my husband for this. You've got nothing Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we went with wow. South Carolina, even though when I started dating him, I said, I will never move to South Carolina. Don't, <laughs> don't even, don't try. But they made us a better offer. They said, we don't appoint clergy couples more than 30 miles apart without their permission. And yeah, so I ended up in South Carolina and I ended up in rural South Carolina Mm. Um, mm-hmm. where abouts in South Carolina? So I was appointed in a town called St. Matthews, which is between Columbia and Charleston. Okay. Off of I-26. Lots of okay. pine trees. Lots of... Are you familiar with South Carolina? A, a little bit. Yeah. I have relatives that live in Charleston and I lived in Greenville briefly. So. Yeah. He did a brief stint yeah. there too. Did a brief Those stint in Greenville. Those are the two Greenville. ideal appointments in the South Carolina conferences. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Greenville is <laughs> great. Charleston and Greenville. And there's, it's really storming behind me. So I'm so sorry. I know there's like amazing lightning behind you. It's, it's mesmerizing. So Sarah, you are in the middle of South Carolina in a tiny town. And I'm guessing based on the things you've shared with us that you are like super Republican. So you're doing great um, in a tiny town in the South. (laughs) Right. I mean, I cannot imagine someone who has worked in politics. And then during this time, I mean, it really is a difficult time to be in areas that are super different as far as politically in a way that I don't know that it has been for a while or whatever. So yeah, you, you're at this little church and uh, you thought what, like, what were, how did they receive you? <laughs> what, what did they, what did you think of them? Yeah. So I followed a woman, which was helpful. And uh, I loved so many of them so deeply and, but it, I also I graduated in 2015. So then a little election happened very shortly thereafter, which has affected and, no one that's ever come on the show. <laughs> I mean, it is it ministry yeah. changed rapidly, you know, before my very eyes. And right. the, the tagline of this show could be dealing with 2016. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it really could be 2016 followed by 2020. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, 2016 just kind of like started, you know, right. nudging and then 2020 happened. And oof. yeah, so I 
I was there for six years in my first appointment, which is pretty, pretty rare for a Methodist pastor to be yeah. the first appointment for six years. That means they liked you. They did. And I was, I don't know. I they were very, very kind and I love those people, many of them, some of them not so much. Um <laughs> But uh, my DS did not want to let me go. So, um, and I didn't have the heart because I'm an Enneagram nine. So every year, as you guys might know from listening to this podcast, that Methodists have to put whether they want to stay or go. And I never had the heart to say, I want to go, even though. <gasps> oh my deep gosh. In my core, you're 100% that kid that checks yes and you're not sure. Yeah. But I would like every year tell my DS, like, listen. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you have another place for me, I would love to see another place. Um, I'm going to check. Yes, but wink. I, it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say. Out loud. No, it's not. I mean, I think I, yeah, I can understand I, every year I had that tough, like, and I've shared on the show before when I had to check that I didn't want an appointment, I wept. Right. It felt like a failure to not mm -hmm. check yes or no. I mean, I guess I just no, I don't want to stay when I had built this community and I loved the people. I mean, it wasn't it was definitely a, a chance for me to be an LGBTQIA, you know, ally and advocate. It was a chance for me to engage in anti-racism and all the things that you dream about. Right. And it, it was all of that. And I still said no. That is very, very relatable. And I got moved for year seven to larger church as an associate and one that was a little bit, well, significantly more progressive and not that they were the most progressive, but like very South Carolina progressive. And, and I still really struggled and yeah, I was like, if I can't make it here, what am I, what am I even doing? Um, yeah. And your husband the whole time is also in ministry. Yeah. And he got moved a couple of times while I was in that six year appointment basically to the other side of me. So <laughs> he's um, like rotating around you. Yeah. He's just taking churches, you know, all around my appointment so that my DS didn't have to move me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, uh, Sarah, that yeah. is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Can you just, I don't know, paint a picture of what that's like, because I like for me, at least like ministry took up a lot just for me. And then, I'm imagining, you know, your your husband is just as busy as you are with ministry things. So how how does this paint a picture of how this works? Yeah. Yeah, it it was really tough at first and then we started working smarter not harder mm -hmm. and like yeah. kind of co-planning things together and uh it like Justin, I don't know how your spouse feels, but like I feel like minister spouse is a full-time ministry in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it was rough for our parishioners on occasion to, um, yeah, have a, a, a minister with a spouse that wasn't around because that was expected. You know, it's so fascinating because I don't think we've dove into this. And I almost would love to have a, a spouse of a clergy member talk about this a little bit because the expectation on someone who didn't sign up for it is yeah. mm -hmm. incredible. I have um, dear friends whose uh, significant others and spouses, and I have had like long, long conversations about, you know, what it's like to have an expectation on you when you 
this is not the career path that you chose. Um, with for yours, he did choose it, but and then what do you do? Like for one of my friends, their spouse is a like a college professor with tenure, so he cannot leave his position because if they move him, his answer is no, like right. because his wife has such a, a specific genre of like like scholarship and so if they move like there's no way she'd get a job anywhere else and and mm-hmm. truthfully she's the breadwinner if you will i don't know if that's a good saying or not guys maybe breadwinner well, she she brings in the lion's share of the income yes yeah so and and good good for her like yeah i'm imagining the conversations how did you both figure out that you were not sure about it anymore because if you're like co-planning together i just wonder like the <laughs> i don't know the yeah. the timing of that how did that work what what led you to that so like obviously you only stayed a year yeah so um it's uh there were a lot of personal things happening in our life too and yeah i mean yeah so if i can get real real <laughs> uh, that's basically what we do here please do okay. Yeah, so this was a very unique experience for me. Yeah, and if we can cut this if it gets too too much. No, you're fine. Also, add like trigger warnings, etc. <laughs> but like, uh, so I we did that thing that married couples do, where you start to try to have like procreate, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had an ectopic pregnancy that <sighs> almost killed me because I waited too long oh, and. Wow. The hospital was an hour away from where we were. So I literally almost bled to death internally in the parsonage. And this was a huge, like, kind of wake up call for both me and my husband. And the, the weirdest part, I mean, about all of this is like, it was a very public situation Mm. because all of my parishioners do, and they were also wonderful and supportive. But like, it just, uh, it was, it was just like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to die here in the country. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, And so my husband and I started having conversations and he, I think from his first year was like, kind of ready to move on. And I think I was the resistor for the longest time. And then we ended up having like a second ectopic pregnancy while we were still at this courage. And we were like, we just need to get out of here. Like, I know realistically it's not the place that's making this happen, but like, I can't, I can't live here anymore. Yeah. Um, if you don't feel safe, like yeah, something that serious. That's, yeah. Yeah. So we moved to another church while I was pregnant after going through IVF during uh, the COVID, uh, the uh, pandemic. Oh my goodness. I forgot the word pandemic. What is wrong with me? You know, keep forgetting that word. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We just, it, it, I think we just need to call out that it did a number on all of us. All of us. Yeah. Not, and it's okay. Like all of us have a little bit of, a little bit of quirks. We came out. Yeah. A pandemic brain. No problem. Yeah. So we, we worked for like ages to like create another human and we were successful doing IVF. Um, so I was pregnant when I moved to the church up north <laughs> in Columbia. And I, during your introductory meeting, you tell them whatever. And I was like, listen, this is like a one and only kid. Like we're taking the 12 weeks of the discipline. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, my recollection of that of that was that everybody was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then I started, and then it they were not super cool with me taking twelve weeks of maternity <sighs> leave, and that oh, was kind of like, I was, mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know what, for for a church that not this particular church, but like, you know, we're supposed to be Christians and loving and family oriented. And I don't know. I, and uh, for a denomination that prides itself on empowering women, like, Oh yeah. Well, in theory, empowering women as as long as they're men, I guess. Where was the lead pastor in this? Not fighting for you. Okay. So you're working at this progressive church. Yeah. And yet they are not willing to really stand for women. Or like really for parenthood, guys, like, let me tell you, I, I don't always brag about being Canadian. Okay. I kind of do, but in Canada, they do such a good job of having paternity leave and having maternal maternity leave and having like, it'd be a significant amount of time and your job be guaranteed. It's not just Canada, Sarah. It's most of the world. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Most of the the developed world, sans America, believes that parents should be with their infants. <laughs> yeah, I'm Bless. deeply envious of your Canadian heritage and yeah. um yeah. I I love everything about Canada. Mm-hmm. Not just the parental leave, the sense of humor, the politeness. I really should have been Canadian. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll take you, I'll be honest. We really Richard Rohr does say that Canada is the most nine country. So, there you we go. We really are. Oh. <laughs> any agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a it is a safe place for nines. It really is. <laughs> it you, is a you're haven fine. for nines. So you I, you oh, had your you had your maternity leave. How do you come back knowing that you weren't supported? I just don't. I'm imagining like the day before maternity leave is over. Is it just um, like it was, it's the worst Monday feeling ever? <laughs> like the worst Sundays. You know they call it the Sundays, yeah. fearing the Mondays. Although for us it's like Saturdays, but. Uh, I felt really guilty coming back. Like, I I don't know. I just, but I wanted so badly to make it work so badly to make it work. And then later in the spring, I don't know my, I had like this baby and my husband was miserable. Maybe not miserable. Yeah. Miserable. You know, fuck it. It's miserable. (laughs) It's okay. I don't want to speak for him, but yeah, I mean, he was visibly miserable. And so at some point I was just like, he started applying for different degrees, which he did all the time. We all have our ways of like dealing with what. I love that. I have a friend who, when he was trying to decide about leaving ministry, would go on like LinkedIn and look at jobs. Yeah. He's like, all "All of a sudden I'll realize how people scroll on social media. I was scrolling through jobs. Some people just scroll through degrees. Like you imagine a life different from yours. Yeah. So he applied for a master's of public health because his first life was in biology and decided that he wanted a master's of public health. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. He's a seven, if that's not clear. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm, I've tracked that entire story. (laughs) It makes perfect sense to me. Obviously. So he applied for it and he applied to three different programs and he applied to one in Columbia. And initially the plan was for me to keep working and us just keep living there. And, but he got into Emory and got like a, a pretty decent scholarship. And my family is in Atlanta. And I was like, listen, I feel like 
God, she might be telling us to move (laughs) back to Atlanta. And yeah. So, so that would have been, so you've been out for a little bit, not, not a whole year yet. Not a full year. Yeah. How does it feel? It feels so weird. So I, I, here's what's weird about it. I have one, this mainline guilt, right? Because the Methodist church is, you know, in a place. And I really wanted to be one of the people who stayed in to make it oh, incredible. Oh, yeah. Get it. And I, when I talk to, because my closest friends are still clergy, clergy for the most part. Totally. And when I talk to them, I'm like, oh my God, you're still fighting the good fight. I'm, I'm with you in spirit. I feel like mm-hmm. a deserter. <laughs> but yeah, that's a familiar feeling. Like I feel, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. feeling of like, and I think we've talked about it before because Justin was the same way when thinking about leaving. It was, I was like, I want to be an advocate within. So yeah. it's a, it's a really hard move. Yeah. And then it's just weird because like, I'm still ordained in full connection. I'm just on personal Dang. leave. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I know. So it's like, I have one foot in this real world and one foot still deep in the like church world. And, and man, that is, that is crazy. <laughs> but it's like been a slow kind of realization over the past year. I think I was like a very weird and creative and loving person. And I just slowly started chipping those parts of myself Oof. away to yeah. kind of fit into this rural South Carolina town and to make them love me because I really wanted them to love me. It's passing that we do, isn't it? Where we try to like yeah fit into the community that we're part of yeah Yeah. well you're being asked to be what people need Mm. and that's not that's a noble thing i don't even think that's bad but making a career out of that is hard well and to try to hold on to your actual self like you were saying like you lose your creativity you I I remember going like, who am I now? Like I used to be someone who thought of experiential worship. I was someone who, who people would have said, oh, Sarah's really creative. And I still had some of it, but I was so burnt out that it was so hard to be, I didn't want to call it in, but I, I had zero energy. Yeah. It, and again, like just this weird profession where like you, so my second one, I didn't live in a parsonage, but my first one, I lived in a parsonage next door to the church. So there was no private life. There was no away from work. You, I just lived there. Yeah. And as a newlywed. Yeah. <laughs> as a newlywed. Who was having really difficult pregnancies. Like that's so hard to imagine because you, we already feel like a bubble just because of our profession, but there's very few places where then you actually live on site. Yeah. And I don't know. And then you like leave the site or try to like, I would talk to people from my previous life, like, and it was just really hard to explain. And they were like, why don't, why are you part of this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, why are you in a cult? Cause that's who lives together. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it's, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go. So my, my friends before I went to seminary, like did not really know that I even went to church. Cause I kind of just casually went and I was a little bit of a wild child. I'm from Texas originally. I haven't lived there, but like my whole family is from Texas, like generations back. And there's mm-hmm. this Molly Ivins quote about Texas that where she says, like, I dearly love the state of Texas. I consider it 
a harmless perversion that I only share with other consenting adults. And that is like totally how I treated church in my 20s. Like So familiar. I I always used to say it was like my weird aunt that I hid from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just like a thing that I do and like nobody really needs to know about it, but I care about it. But like also it's just, you know, and then so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to seminary. And a lot of my friends were like, what? (laughs) Yeah, it shocked a lot of my friends. too. (laughs) Like, why? Yeah, it was, um, it was, so it was also weird to go back and kind of explain. And I also felt very protective of the church too, because mm-hmm. I had, like, I would come out and be like, it's not because the church is weird. It's just, I don't know, which I, I don't really feel. I'm, I'm it's, sorry. I'm, it's always interesting. Like, I, I feel that energy of like, you want to, you've invested your life in this thing. You, and I think for, I think maybe for all three of us and most people that are in Rev Covery, like at one point we saw how good it was or mm-hmm. how good it could be. The potential. And we thought like, man, we can do this. And so yeah, you get very defensive, but after a certain while you're like, what am, what am I defending again? Like, but don't you think you're oh, trying to convince yourself sometimes? Oh like, yeah. That's, that's Justin what and I were to, on like, our friend's show and he yeah. played a c- clip of John MacArthur, like really talking about the call. And, and you can't do anything else like this sort of thing. And you're like, oh, I don't think he's talking to us anymore. <laughs> like, I think yeah, he's I think talking he's, to himself. He's talking to himself, like trying to pump himself up. Like, yeah, I can't do anything else. Yep. This but is it. it is like an embarrassingly weird thing to try to explain to people outside of. So I run in a, a run group and we, a bunch of us decided that we would hike Mount Whitney. So we got in the drawing to hike Mount Whitney. It's one of the largest in the lower 48s. It's the largest mountain and it's, you have to train to do it. So great. Awesome. But it's the first time in my life I can do this stuff, guys, because Sundays, right? So mm-hmm. today we hiked and it was great, but it's kind of odd too, because I used to be a pastor and then everybody knows that like I am a coach, like life coach and do all that sort of stuff. But they're like, like not really sure what a pastor was. And now they're really not sure what a business consultant and a coach is. They're just like, you're really fun to talk to, I think, is kind of why they like hanging out with me. But we went into this restaurant today. Like we we're trying to find a place so that I could get back to be with you guys and trying to get some food because we just hiked 17 miles and we're just dead. And we're trying to get some food and we go in this restaurant and I hear Savior, he can move the mountains. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> The radio station was a Christian radio station. Oh, On the counter were Jesus Loves You tracks, right? And I'm with a bunch of people who are like nominally, some of them sort of had gone to church in the past, but they don't have the strong feelings, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. no one else is being like triggered by this, Sarah. Why are you being so weird about, but well, I wanted to get the hell out of that restaurant. I felt so, I was embarrassed. I didn't want my friends to hear like, the radio station. And I was just like, what is Sarah, you are overreacting to this. And I was like, and my friend goes, what? I was like, it's a Christian radio station. And he was like, oh, <laughs> and then my friend was like, oh, that's so sweet. They have a little God loves you stickers up there. I was like, that's not a sticker. That was a track. And she's like, what's a track? And someone else was like, oh, it's when they like try to sell you the thing. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah. And then it's all of a sudden you're seeing things. That when you're in it, like, of course you would play Christian music in a restaurant if you wanted people to meet God. Like the number of times I wanted to start a like music venue that was secretly Christian and like do little things like that. Mm -hmm. Guys, I could have gone down the secret Christian route 
And it's scary to think like, <laughs> like it was going to be called the warehouse. messaging is Sarah oh. going to be putting into the yeah. coffee. Literally, I was going to call it the warehouse where God comes first, but the warehouse. Where God what first? Comes first. Don't. Don't. It was just terrible. <laughs> it never was good ever. And now it's more embarrassing. But it's funny too, right? It's like all of a sudden we start, like there's, when we have to explain it to people that are outside of it. Yeah. And we're no longer trying to sell it. Because when we're selling it, it's like, oh, of course you don't understand it. But like once you're like not that, but you're also not fully this, sitting, it's like no one else is uncomfortable. Great. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I find it, I think it was interesting for me. And I've shared this before. Like once I got out, then I was that person on the outside. And Mm. then trying to explain it to myself after I was out, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm done. Like I, I just had that like because when you're in trying to defend it, you can there's still a certain amount of like, uh, like, oh, I believe this for sure. Like, I'm trying to convince you. And then when you're out, it's like, who am I convincing now? Like, (laughs) no one's paying me to do this. No one's asking me to do this. Um, Well, I'm curious, Sarah, how did your friends react? The ones that weren't the ones that were from your political days or your first career or. Yeah. To you leaving. I, I never. I never really got a huge response from them. I mean, I guess it's still kind of new. A, co- a couple of them will tentatively be like, so are you, are you still doing the thing? You know, like, do you want to go back to that thing you were doing? And I don't know, several of them just kind of acted like they've always acted towards me. And, and it was like kind of coming back to Atlanta and hanging out with like college friends, et cetera. It's different, but it also feels like coming back into myself. I may phrase it so super awkwardly. No, no, that's beautiful. And I still get to be like a, I don't know, like a an, a pastoral presence for some people, like without actually having to have all the crap that comes with it and not being like, I can still turn it off and I can like not answer phone calls. I don't know if any of that, I'm just saying words, but like. <laughs> no, that absolutely makes sense. Like you can, you get to choose when you engage it because your paycheck doesn't isn't you know and your and your um evaluation which is a really big important part of it right isn't dependent on how well you do that or if you show up the whole world doesn't seem like it's on your shoulders yeah yeah i am excited to hear about what you're looking forward to next where you think you guys are headed we're going to take a break listen justin i'm getting better at it we're going to take a break and uh hear from some of our sponsors and then we'll be back with sarah and her (laughs) her story of like what's next First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Okay, friends, we are back. We need to hear it. Sarah, right as we we're going to the our commercial break, Sarah's like, I did get a job. So, and also shared with us, do you mind sharing with us your living situation? Because as you were talking, your adorable cat came in. <laughs> and then I apologize for my dog who like, I'm so sorry if you guys can hear my dog eating right now, but because I was gone hiking all day, poor baby boy got walked by my neighbors a couple of times and he 
he is, um, I think he's sort of eating loudly as like sort of his own little protest. His own protest. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah said, oh, I have a dog that's not living with us right now. And then you explained. Yes. Okay. So one of the glamorous parts about being two people who leave the ministry at the same time and one of them going back to school full time is that we are so poor. Um, it's not bad though. We are, we are fine. It's, we look at each other all the time and we're like, worth it. It's, it's okay. Um, it took me a little bit longer to find a job than I wanted, but with the help of the discord community and some very, very clever phrasing in my, (laughs) on my resume, I do have a job and I don't love it, but here's the thing. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It feels so much better not to love this job. Like, it doesn't have to be mine forever. I have made no promises to anybody. Beautiful. Taking no vows. Turn off my phone and nobody knows where I live. I just, Mm -hmm. like, I just exist. I get to just have a work day. And yeah. What industry are you in, if you don't mind saying? Yeah, so I'm working for a global nonprofit that is... Um, not faith-based, but has a has Methodist ties. So they were very interested in my Methodist history, which was kind of lucky, I guess. And uh, yeah, so I am doing communications for them and community outreach. And hey. so nice. it actually, it pays better than my ministry jobs. And it's stuff mm-hmm. that I was already doing, right? Like I'm already, I was a social media manager and a communications, you know, guru and learned a lot of stuff by the seat of my pants, especially in COVID. I mean, I got a broadcast radio thing to like, so people could come and listen to church in the parking lot. <laughs> like, like, you know what you're doing. And that's the yeah. thing is I think everybody sells themselves short. And Justin is definitely a great advocate for this. So many pastors sell themselves short because they don't think they have the skills. And truthfully, like even like in my work uh, at the coffee company that I work at, like just even the things like running a meeting in a way that is efficient, uh, has everybody's voice heard, but is like moving in one direction. Mm-hmm. We, no one teaches business owners that. No one teaches, even people who have MBAs aren't taught how to communicate in a business way to work towards a goal. But if you have run a nonprofit like a church, you know what it takes to communicate in a way that gets people inspired and want to move in the same direction. And you do it efficiently because you only have an hour before lunch. Like, you know what I mean? So we've learned how to do that. Yeah. And I think we sell ourselves short of like, I think too, I think this is true across the board. A lot of times what we, what we can do that we don't understand that it's genius because it's so easy and it comes naturally, like communicating in public spaces. That's part of the reason we got into it. That is a unique skill set, but because it comes easily to us, I think sometimes we discount it. Yeah, I think so many pastors have the, this is something like Elise Myers said this, like the how hard could it be, Gene? Yeah. Like, you know, like we can do just about anything halfway decent. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and not everybody's built like that. And I, so I think, and if you don't have that, you eventually get that in ministry because it's like, I definitely have done electrical wiring. 
I have definitely yes. done a lot yeah. of things that I should not plumbing. have been doing. Plumbing. We did a hardwood like floor. My my first my first day, my first Sunday at one church, I was like plunging toilets and handling <laughs> plumbing situations because it was like a basement deal and the water and all this stuff. Like, and, and then you do that, and then you go on a platform and you do public speaking, like which that's a nightmare to some people. Like some people, right. like okay, you have a public speaking engagement. But we're going to have a water-based emergency five minutes before then. Right. And then you're going to go on. Like, oh, Yeah. I've had a raccoon-based emergency on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I know way more about roofing and HVAC units than I ever thought that mm-hmm. I would. Yeah. I will casually drop like HVAC and roofing information into like conversations with older boomers. And they'll be like, how? What? <laughs> I don't own a home. But... <laughs> I've done plenty of roofing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always the roof that churches need, if we're honest. It's, just, it's so much roof. There's so think, much roof. I think it's it's uh it's that uh what do they call it maintenance when they don't do maintenance? Deferred maintenance is often a roof, right? And and it's it is hard <laughs> going back to the topic where my ADHD brain's all over the place, but it is hard to have a job that you have to remind yourself you're not committed to. Because I think so many of my friends, just today my friend was talking about how um, (laughs) she hated the job that she was in before the job she has now, and she loves the job she has now. But she's like, oh, yeah, at work I used to just like Photoshop actors' eyes onto my friends (laughs) because (laughs) like I had the time and I hated my job. And she was unapologetic for it because that job in her mind wasn't changing lives. It just was a job. And it's been, it's funny again, to bring up my running group that I think has really become my church. It's funny how many of us have switched careers later on, late quote unquote Mm -hmm. later on. I'm one of the older ones in this particular iteration of our group, but a lot of them, I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know what it was, a great resignation. I don't know. A lot of them have left, um, the the field they were in to leave into into another one. And I think it mm-hmm. takes us a little bit longer because of this idea of commitment. And I took my I take my orders seriously. I'm still ordained. I'm in good connection. And I take that seriously. Even when I'm like, I'm not sure what I totally believe or I don't know, but I and sometimes I'm embarrassed of our denomination. But I take I took those orders seriously. And so then when you get a job where you're like, I don't love it, you're like, should I commit to it? Because <laughs> you don't know what to mm-hmm. do. Like you don't want to be, um, I don't know. I don't want to be a quitter or someone who doesn't like, and I don't know how to build boundaries because I think a lot of people in their twenties and thirties were learning how to build boundaries around work. Cause they were switching jobs, realizing like, it's not the end of the world when you leave one career to go to a next, how to like, like the next thing about after you get a job is how do you negotiate for a raise? I don't know how to do that. All these things, Sarah, I think you're great not to love your job. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I don't know. I, I think it, I feel like Justin has talked about not loving his first job out of ministry. And that has mm-hmm. been like, y'all, thank you for this podcast. I have to <laughs> You're welcome. Like, oh my God. Thank you. Because it, it makes me feel a lot better. Cause there are times when I sit in my job and I'm like, oh my God, am I bad at ministry and bad at this? And the truth is I'm not bad at either, but like yeah. you feel so, I don't know, just we we put a lot on ourselves as yes yeah 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 ministers people well i mean the the theology itself 
that you're working under puts a lot of pressure on you. You know, I mean, you all didn't believe in hell, but I had to. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin. I'm so sorry that you had to believe in hell. Um, and and like, yeah, it's like I'm going to go to bed tonight, and people are going to die. Like, and I'm going to be sleeping. You know, oh god, um, which so is why great. I actually think no one actually believes in hell. They just say they do because I mean, because no I one would imagine. be sleeping. Yeah, no one would be sleeping. You you wouldn't do anything else if you actually believed in it. But anyway. So, but it's, it's, yeah, the, the theology itself is like a God, God has called you to this position. Like, this isn't just like, I took a career test and I want to be an engineer. Like, no, like the creator of the universe decided (laughs) to, to look at you and say, this is what you're going to do, sir. Like that, I mean, that, that puts a lot of pressure on you already. And I don't know that human nervous systems are built to handle that for very long. Because it's just like this is the weight of the universe on your shoulders and like all of just the mundane like we just talked about, like doing toilets and all that stuff, all this mundane pressure of like we have to just we have to just keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I keep the lights on? And then in the like scant moments I get, I have to also deliver this transcendent message to people that like encourages them and and helps their mental well-being. And also kind of challenges them a little bit. Or if you're in a, you know, rural South Carolina, maybe makes them a little less, you know, rural South Carolina. Which rural South Carolina is great. We're not saying anything. All we're saying is that they're. I know. Right. But also, you know. But also, yeah, we we know. We know. Like. (laughs) But also you have like, you know, people coming in and then seeing you're a woman pastor and then making a big to do about leaving because you're a woman pastor, like a visitor. And (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. Check the website, man. And just don't come. Like if that's anyway. Yeah. No, who doesn't check the website? But anyway, go on. Yeah. Like. (laughs) Website about staff, like that's all you got to do, <laughs> and then it's and that problem solved. Yeah, like it, there's there's so much pressure on you day one walking in, and how, how people do it uh, for their whole career. I mean, I have suspicions as to how you do that, but I, I, the three of us, we couldn't, and and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's okay to have a job that you're kind of meh on. That you're like, I, I, it pays my bills. It, I don't hate it. And that's not bad. Actually. That's enough. Yeah, Sarah, I love the lightness with which you hold. Yeah, I'm doing my job and I'm doing the best at it. And it's also like, like you said, it's not mine to have forever. And it's not mine to have forever was a really interesting phrasing of that. Because the ownership that we take of, of a job is so different. Mm-hmm. If we say like, it's my job, it's, you know, like when they would say it's Sarah's church, I was like, first of all, it does not belong to Sarah and it will continue to not like it didn't belong to me before I got there. It didn't belong to me while I worked there and it won't belong to me in the future. But it's true. We, we're, we're kind of told like what we are creating reflects us and all this sort of thing. And so to have a job that you're like, no, like I know someone else can have this job after me. Yeah. And to be fair, I may sound like I'm holding it with lightness, but that is because I am constantly coaching myself. Too. I love it. Hey, <laughs> no, hey. I get um, it. And if you had talked to me like a couple of days ago, I probably would have been like, I, I, I can't I, hold this lightly. I don't, yeah. I, I have to save everybody. <laughs> I have to yeah. save this company, this nonprofit. And I, I know. Can't. You know what? I have to remind myself all the time that like, like even 
clients I work with or uh, companies that I'm consulting or the company that I'm in-house consulting and also doing their admin structures for, I have to remind myself that if they don't do well or if they decide not to you know, engage the work that we've done together, if they decide that's not it, it doesn't, ref- like it, it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I mean, it does and that I'm doing the best I can, but like I don't have to save this thing. You use that word, Sarah, and it absolutely <laughs> relates. Like I don't have to save this company, the company I work for does not need to be saved. But I also like, if things go sideways, it's not mine. And I think it's so helpful, at least for a little while when you get out of ministry to have something that's not yours. Yeah. Like you're, you're not the sole proprietor of this thing. No. Yeah. When I first started, I had this wonderful mentor who said like, you need to like keep God and the church separate because they're not the same thing. And I was, so never good at that. Like they're like, she was like, the job or the church is an institution. God is something separate. Like if you conflate the two, you will burn out so fast. And I mean, I don't know that that's why I burned out, but I mean, I don't think that's why I burned out. But like, I just I was never good at that. I don't know why. I well, I guess because the church is constantly telling you like, hey, I'm God. You know, whether like right. overtly or <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. where I got that from. Oh, oh, yeah. It was the church saying it yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Go ahead, as you look Sarah. forward to the future, if it's not the career that you're currently in, is there anything that you're like really looking forward to? It doesn't even have to be vocationally. Like Sarah, what is like getting Sarah excited these days? Yeah. So, I mean, every so often I get like on my, on my church shit again and I like, I want to do something that's not pastor related. And it has, I've like, I'm not, I, I like music. I'm not musical, but like I had this whole big thing and started recruiting people because I slide and I backslide into this, you know, ministry <laughs> bullshit. I backslide into creating churches. I love it. Um, like the United Methodist Church, ha- like, why do we have to like use all this Hillsong music? Like, we have musicians, we have theology that like lines up with us. And yet, at United Methodist Churches, we keep using this like crappy praise music. Like, why is there no. United Methodist recording studio, like a recording house. What is the word for that? What am I looking for? Um, yeah. uh, they used to have a music, like a record label. Record yeah. label. Thank you. Yeah. Or like, yeah. well, yeah, I don't know. It just, anyway. Okay. That's not what excites me. I don't know why I, <laughs> I, I grew up painting and I've started painting again, which is really amazing. Oh, that's great. I, so creative Sarah is coming back. Yeah. It's, it's really good. And, a thing that I didn't mention before was that I got my doctorate of ministry and I ended up switching my topic in the last year and writing on resisting diet culture in the church. And save this to the end, Sarah. Good. Tell us I, more. I, this I is the gold right here. I, um, yeah. And that was honestly part of it too. And everything that I was going through was like, I was looking at and researching ways in which the church has like upheld and not just the church, but like, you know, secular diet companies have used sacred language to manipulate mm-hmm. people into buying whatever diet they're selling. Wait, what? And like what? <laughs> I like any. OK, sorry. I wasn't. Prepared this is to not talk. a tangent. I'm excited about this. No, this is good. Take your time. <laughs> Set it up. Yeah. So, I mean, when you when you hear even people who have never gone to church before say things about, um, I mean, in the simplest way would be like, you know, like being good or bad. Like when we assign morality to things, 
it's really easy to co-op religious language. And I'm trying to remember some examples from this huge demon project I did. And I can't mm-hmm. think of anything right now. Oh, you're fine. It is no, literally like being on a it's trivia okay. show when we ask you questions like this. But I think, I, so I was thinking about like, even when like MLMs are big, multi-level yes. marketing stuff for yes. weight loss are big within the church. Yes, they're huge. huge. And, and you, it just, it started to like really become evident to me, even when I would eat with other pastors that they had to like, excuse what they were eating before uh, they, you know, mm. and um, I'm not going to sleep tonight, Sarah, because I'm thinking about this because I had a woman tell me a female pastor, tell me about all the weight she gained when she first started in ministry because she wanted to not be a sexual being. Is that oh, interesting? Mm. She didn't realize until yeah. like years later with a therapist that she was packing on the pounds so that she could become androgynous. What? Because mm. either her choice was to either be like, seen as something that like is not pastoral or to like she was literally putting things like changing her appearance in order to not be sexualized it's so weird and scary and odd but like i also talked to a dietitian who said the number one overweight as far as like we know bmi is bullshit but people who are not healthy are pastors because they don't take care of themselves yeah and and your body is always on display no matter right what you do no matter i mean it's yeah. just it's yeah. always there and able to be commented on but then i mean we so i a big part of my project was reading i mean about like the racist history of the bmi and mm-hmm. reading sabrina strings you know and in sabrina strings book um the racist history of fat phobia uh fearing the black body yeah she talked a lot about how people would use christian language you know, back in the day to like, to differentiate like white women and to say like, white women should be more holy and should be thinner. Unlike Mm -hmm. anyway, sorry, this feels really creepy to talk about. No, it's, I think it's, it's not out of context. It's so, this is something to be excited about to have the Mm -hmm. conversations and bring this to light because you know, even the way that we ask girls to dress versus how boys dress in youth groups, you know, things like that, the church really does shame the body. And then we're left picking up the pieces. So Sarah, I don't. Wild, because we have like a corporal, we're all about the body, allegedly, in Christianity. I cannot believe you hid this gold into the end. I'm so fascinated by this. So how do you think you're going to use it? I don't know, but I kind of want to write something. I, I like writing, but like also, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's good to know that people are interested in it. I know it's a big subject right now and a lot of people are writing on this, but like, yeah, I did a lot of research. I should turn it into something. Yeah. yeah and I think I, they were not writing about it in the way you're talking about. I mean, embodiment is definitely something that we talk about, but I don't know that we really are honest about diet culture, even in ministry or like the opposite. Like I got shamed because I work out. Because that was taking a lot of time Mm -hmm. out of when I could be doing ministry. And I was like, look, fools, look, fools, if I'm not working out, y'all don't want to deal with me. Like, (laughs) yeah. And yeah, I was said that I'm not prioritizing the church because I work out. I was told, like, so wild, you know, yeah, which is weird. It's like I'm trying to take care of my physical health, but really my mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, no, you're, you're, you're dedicating too much to whatever and 
I mean, women get this more than men do, uh, certainly. But like, I've I've felt the pressure to be like, yeah, like you don't want to look too good when you're preaching, like, but you don't want to look sloppy, but you like. And so, yeah, it's like it's you're always on display and you're always you're always being scrutinized, you know, and I know, Sarah, you've talked about that many times before, like always being scrutinized for your appearance and and different people scrutinizing you from very different directions. Um, So it would it would not surprise me if if diet culture is very much a part of uh, pastoral ministry in the church in general ways possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we tend to associate like you know the fasting part with holiness and not the feasting part. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's. I don't know just... that I'm going to sleep. I'm going to be thinking about this <laughs> because it is. It's so fascinating, Sarah. And for people who are supposed to be so connected to the body, like you said, the body of Christ, all this language, and to other people, and to like goodness and grace, and we love a potluck, and yet. Like one of the things in the South that was so fascinating to me is we do these potlucks and like everything was bacon fat, all these kind of things. And these women were stick skinny. They were not eating what they were making. And it was, it was so fascinating to me how like the pride over, oh, I don't eat that. I make it, but I don't eat it. Like, and I think kids are watching you. Yeah. One of the things I observed, like, I mean, and if, yeah, even like my secular friends would go on diets for Lent, like, <laughs> but in the church, it's even worse, right? It's I did whole 30 for Lent one year, guys, legitly. I did whole 30 for Lent, but it was whole 40 and I, I did it for Lent. While pastoring? Good gravy. Mm-hmm. No cheese <laughs> while pastoring, just like dr- drink that in, friends. I did was- whole 30 for I'm going to say generously, I made it 10 days. So you did a whole 10? <laughs> I did a whole 10. And then I was like, I, I need, you know, they, they, they say like, oh, you'll feel more alert. I was like, mm-hmm. love is true. But I was alert looking for food. Like, <laughs> like, that's why I was so alert. Like, I had a lot more energy to go find me some food. Yeah, that's I was real angry. I, yeah. Sarah, I am excited for your story and who you are and that you're part of our discord community. So you're part of, you're the first in our feature where we're going to be featuring people who have done it just like everybody else. Cause I think sometimes Mm -hmm. when we put people on a pedestal or, you know, some of the stories we've heard, it's like, well, I could never do that. But there's so many people who are just waking back up to their creativity or like we had to make a really hard decision to, to live in a home that like can't keep our big dog, you know, all these things that like, I just think it's so helpful for people to hear stories. So thank you for being willing to risk that. I know that you and your husband are on this amazing and incredible journey. I can't wait to watch it. And it doesn't have to like change a whole generation or it might, but either way, like the, what the work that you do um, matters, whether it's, you know, uh, quote unquote life changing or not. So thank you for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we close out? Um, no, just thank you guys for having me and thank you for this podcast. Yeah, what a blessing. Um, sorry, I, I'm just let me just slide right back into all this church language. I, I have accidentally used that word a couple times. Blessing, this week, I use it all the time. It's, it's okay. Guys, it's, it's okay. fine. It was a blessing it's to have you on. It's a blessing yeah, to hear everybody blessing. here. We're really this glad. Has been a real fucking blessing.
to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's better if I say fucking before. If, yeah, it's right. If you had the fucking, it's great. <laughs> it oh my gosh, we need t-shirts to say this has been a real fucking blessing. Guys, thank you for listening to another episode of Rope Covering. Stick around for our quote at the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreon.com slash Now, we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening, and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us, and let's keep the conversation going. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Thanks for sticking around to the very end, to the poem, uh, which isn't a poem. As happens many times when I'm the one doing the poem, we don't do a poem. We do a quote because I, I felt like this quote is it's always spoken to me. It spoke to me when I was in ministry and it spoke to me. It still speaks to me even today. And it's a very brief quote by Alan Watts. And I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm just going to say a couple words about it and then we'll be done. This is the quote. You are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. Let me read that again. You are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. I think for me and being a pastor, I think consistency was always a thing. You have to be consistent. You have to be the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm finding that as a human being, sometimes being different over time is good and listening to Sarah tell her story today and just thinking about my life and all the different ways, whatever this essential thing that is Justin has expressed itself over time. I find comfort in the fact that I don't have to be the same thing over and over again. And that I'm under no obligation to be the same person I was five minutes ago. And may you find freedom and joy and curiosity in that this week. Thanks. We'll see you next time. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.